Hello, everybody. This is Pastor Dale Walker. I want to welcome you to our Leadership Podcast. We are looking at how to become leaders that lead like Jesus. I'm excited to have you listening. If you want the notes on this, you can get them at dalewalker.life. There's also a lot of other resources to help you grow in your leadership. Share this with someone if you are blessed. I know you will be. God bless you. Well, again, welcome everybody. Uh, Today, in week eight, we're talking about tying the message together for the greatest impact. And we, again, we've been using that uh, acronym CRAFT, uh, collect, research, uh, arrange and apply, flavor the message and then tie it all together. And Ecclesiastes 12, nine through 11 says, in addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge and pondered and searched out and arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and write words of truth correctly. The words of wise men are like goads and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. And they are given by one shepherd. The great shepherd Jesus gives us these nails. And, and I, I kind of almost wanted to entitle this, how to, how to nail the message to the heart of people's heart door, as it were. Some of you, I think of uh, Martin Luther and his 95-point thesis yeah. that nailed to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg. <laughs> and, uh, and I love that idea of... If you're going to preach this week, nail it to their hearts. And uh, he, he speaks of two things. He talks about a prod. And so, again, think of a, a goad or a prod. Think of a cattle prod, you know, that zaps the, <laughs> the cattle. And he speaks of a well-driven nail. And, and the idea is, number one, you want to motivate people to go out and do something for Jesus But number two, you you want to embed the word in their hearts so they remember it. So it's it's there uh, even after they leave. They get it and and, and they nail it. And and I'm going to talk about getting a point and making sure you hit it five times in your message. But um, just before, as I read it, this, this verse this week, it just struck me something that I feel deeply. And, and that is how it says the preacher pondered and searched out and he arranged and he sought delightful ways. Uh, you know what I saw there? I saw someone just pouring their life into this process and, and just agonizing over this. And it just spoke to me about something that I want to say, if you have been called to be a teacher of the word of God and, and whatever your gift, I think the same attitude applies is that once you know that you have a gift, it is worth giving a lifetime of effort to get better at it. And, and I believe this so much that part of the stewardship of your life is to say, wow, I've got some gift. And, and I'm assuming that your gift is teaching. If it was, you know, if it was worship or whatever it was, I would be saying the same thing. But what, what I believe is that 
the passion to sharpen your skills is at the heart of making your biggest difference for God. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget my brother Tommy, and he was a great worship leader by the time he was 16 or 17, and he went to school. And then he was leading worship for a big church, and then he quit to go to the music school. And everybody said, you don't need to go to music school. You're a great worship leader. He says, no, I think somehow I could get better. And if I got better, I would lead more people to Jesus. And I can tell you that is true as can be with Tommy's life. And, and so my, my point is, I want to challenge every one of you from the bottom of my heart, become a master communicator, become a master teacher. What does that mean? It just means for the rest of your life, if you've been called to do this, uh, get better at it. And uh, my hero uh, I've used before, Pablo Casals, the great cello player, was asked at 95 years old why he practiced five hours a day still. And he said, I think I'm getting better. And I said, boy, when I'm 95, if I'm still alive, I, I hope someone will say, why are you studying the Bible so hard? <laughs> I think I'm getting better. What's the point? The point is if you get better, more people will get saved. More marriages will get put back together. More youth will leave lives of delinquency. More Christians will find their purpose. And so how many will say, I will become a master teacher, all right? Would you come to the altar right now? Okay, thank you. So what is the point here? That this is worthy of developing your skill. And, and so I'm gonna talk about two things. First, I, I, wanted, I want you to, I wanna just go back because we talked a lot about flavoring and we won't go into this a lot, but this will be really important as you evaluate yourself can I just tell you something, how you become a better communicator? Watch good communicators. Don't just listen to them. But if you, if you think someone's a good communicator, go online and watch them. And, and not just listen, but watch their hands, their eyes, and study all of that. And then uh, when you teach, record yourself and watch yourself. Now, I have to say, this is where the rubber beats the road. As I was preparing this, I, I, was, I was reminded that I needed to go back and, and, and evaluate myself. And to me, that's Chinese water torture. I mean, that's just like, no, I hate watching myself, you know. But again, the point is to master any skill. It's practice, practice, practice. And some of the things we started to talk about, I just want to finish up this week about delivery, involves things like cadence, volume, body language, flow, and timing. Can I tell you, flow and timing matter when you're giving a message. I, I think of it like riding on a boat. <laughs> if you're riding on a boat in amusement park or, or to sightsee, uh, there's a flow to that boat you enjoy, right? You, you don't want it to get stuck <laughs> and you don't want it to go a thousand miles an hour. You want it to flow. And, and people feel the same way when we're communicating. They'll feel, wow, what is the flow here? Uh, what is the timing that's going on? Uh, there is something that's very important about body language, 
And this is why you have to watch yourself. Uh, uh, you know, I, when I watched myself, I saw myself doing weird things, keeping my hands in my pocket while I'm preaching or, you know, scratching myself in a weird way or I don't know, whatever it is. And, and you're not aware of that, you know. And so all of that, part of any kind of thing of excellence is what distractions can I remove from what I'm doing? If I can remove a distraction, I'll communicate better. And so uh, we want to examine those kind of things. Cadence is also incredibly important. Someone said the difference between a home run and a foul ball is timing. <laughs> and uh, a home run is right timing. And there's a way to make a point. There's a timing element to it. And and I see this because I preach in multiple services every Sunday. And what's amazing to me is sometimes I'll, I'll share a sermon and I'll make a point in one service and it's like, boom, people are, yes. And then I'll make the same point in the next service and they're asleep. And I kind of scratch my head and what, what was the problem? It was timing. Somehow I didn't set that up as well in one service as I did the other. And, and so many times uh, an incredible opportunity to impact someone is lost just because of a timing issue. There was a university study, and all this is in your notes, but and it, it was interesting. It said only 7% of a speaker's impact is from content. 38% is from audio quality. And 55% of a speaker's impact is visual. Now that seemed kind of radical to me. And it also made me say, help me, Holy Spirit, please make up. Because <laughs> uh, those, those are kind of interesting things. But we've said it over and over. Sometimes it's not just what you say, but how you say it that ultimately impacts things the most. Could you, can you close this door for me? The, the way that you say it impacts things the very most. And so uh, just for example, nobody wants to sit and listen to a monotone speaker talk and tell you great things about God for the glory of God. Hallelujah. I'm sharing the word with you today. You better get saved. <laughs> uh, nobody is going to do that. They're going to fall asleep. Um Movement as well is a very important point, you know, um, and, and this is something we could all get better at. Uh, movement creates moods um, in every way. Tone of voice, for example, if you're too loud, you know, how many know it's okay to be loud now and then, but if you're listening to someone Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? You know, uh, pretty soon they're going to turn that volume off in some way or another. Um, movement has to do with how you take the journey. How many know if you're on a tour guide, nobody wants to go to Kansas for three hours and drive through a, <laughs> a wheat field and see the same thing. You want to go over the hills and through the valley and over the mountain to grandma's the scenery along the way, the journey, all of that really impacts how a message comes across. Um, I, we said it last week, and I think it's, it's worth it. Again, maybe we can discuss this later, but 
experts tell us that tension uh, tell us that TV shortened people's attention spans. That you can study from the 1940s to today, and people's attention span has shrunk dramatically. And, and that's why TV shows have commercials every 10 minutes, partly. That's about how long people are in. And so unless you get the change of scenery, especially the younger generation uh, will not stay tuned in very well. Some of you may be tuning out about right now because I've been 10 minutes into this. Anyhow, but uh, also just the idea of even your physical even your physical things, standing up, sitting down, walking closer to people when you speak or uh, relaxing, taking everything about that uh, can create a certain flow. And uh, I, I found this interesting one time hearing John Maxwell speak and and I, he, he, he said, you know, have you ever noticed how I stopped to take a drink of water? He says, many times it's not because I need a drink of water. I do that because I'm creating a break <laughs> in, in, in the very flow of what I'm saying. I sit down on purpose. I stand up on purpose. Again, one of the most powerful things is sometimes having simply a long pause. That adds great impact just to, to stop. Maybe you're reading through a verse and all of a sudden you just stop and just say, wow. You remember how, how the Psalms have that word selah in it, <laughs> which means uh, I, I like to say stop and soak a minute. Just stop and soak a minute. Yeah, And sometimes when we're saying things for God, uh, just stop and soak a minute is, is very important. We've shared before, and, and I'm mentioning this because when I have you give your messages in the next few weeks, um, there's going to be a section which I want to talk to you about feedback about your uh, the, the physical uh, expressions. We've said that communicators remove barriers. They don't want to be behind big pulpits. <laughs> they don't want to create a them and us environment. They want to create a very warm and an inclusive environment. Great communicators walk through the crowd. They, they touch the people, they hear the people, they feel the people uh, before they try to speak to the people. We, we said that rapport is the heartbeat of communication. Rapport is key to response. If there's not good rapport, there'll be less response. Um, learning to just relax people. <laughs> I don't know, have you ever listened to someone and, and your muscles were getting tight? It was just, this is just a little too intense right now. I know that's one of my weaknesses because I tend to be intense. But sometimes just a relaxed atmosphere is huge. I think it's great to do little things like, hey, just turn and talk to someone else or, or just pause and laugh at yourself. All of these things can create a positive mood and a positive flow. Uh, I just want to say one more thing about humor. And uh, this is a fun thing to talk about. But I was reading an article that we don't get it today because um, we, we are in a different culture. But Jesus was hilarious. If you really read the Sermon on the Mount from the perspective of someone in that day, they were cracking up. You know, when he talked about 
take the log out of your eye or strain in a gnat and swallow a camel. I, those guys were just cracking up then. They were just like, that is hilarious. What is he doing? He was using a, a humorous example of exaggeration. You know, unfortunately, people are so serious. Uh, they'll take something like uh, a camel through an eye of a needle and they'll try to say, well, in the Greek, that means, no, Jesus was cracking a joke. He was saying, you guys, I mean, it's, you guys are so stuffed shirt and it'd be easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But this is, this is important because I really believe that humor is an incredible tool uh, for creating uh, rapport and effective preaching. The Bible says a cheerful heart does good like a medicine. Literally, a cheerful heart has therapeutic value. It can lighten the mood for people so that something they might not want to hear, they can hear it because it's kind of like, you know, I heard one preacher make, you know, get them laughing and then hit them in the teeth. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know what he was saying by that, but it was the idea of you change the mood and and it, and it doesn't make it feel so intense. It makes it feel like, okay, I can ponder that at least, at least a little bit. Maybe I'll come back to that a little later. Uh, Rick Warren told a story, for example, this is just an example of a kind of uppity fashion guy. He, he was preaching on stewardship and money. And he said, the more intense the subject, the more you need to use humor because uh, people will have more defenses and guards and they'll be more all wound up, you know. So when he preaches about money, he always tries to use a lot of humor so that, uh, you know, people won't get freaked out about their money or something like that. And so he says, he tells a story about this guy driving in his brand new Mercedes on a, on a mountain road. And he's one of these really, we used to call them yuppies or whatever you call them, but these real, really too much into their money. He's trying to preach on, you know, don't make money your God or something like that. And all of a sudden this truck comes and he has to swerve to miss the truck. And he jumps out of his Mercedes just as his car goes over the cliff, but he severs his right arm. As he gets up, the truck driver stops and looks at him and says, are you right? All right, buddy. The guy says, my Mercedes, my Mercedes. And the truck driver says, are you nuts? You lost your right arm. And the guy says, no, not my Rolex, too. You know, anyhow, his point was very simple. You guys, why are you so uptight about things? They don't matter as much as your life, right? But that was a humorous way to, uh, to just lighten the mood. The most effective humor is self-deprecating humor. Uh, because if, if you get people to laugh with you about yourself, it makes it easier for them to, to kind of listen. I often tell a story about uh, before there was GPS getting lost in Los Angeles with Sharon and I refused to stop to get directions. And uh, three hours later, she's enjoying the view and saying, let's look at these houses. And, and I'm going crazy. And, and, and all of a sudden I just stop and break out. Why am I so stupid that I won't stop? And then I said, how many of you have ever felt like even when you're lost, you don't want to admit it? 
And so again, I was making a point about being lost, but not in a way of you're lost. <laughs> but why are we all when we're lost so 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 frustrating, uh, so intimidated to admit it? So those are just a few thoughts about uh, just about the delivery of your message and uh, just. I don't know. Anybody have a comment on that before we go on? Just uh, how 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 you've used uh, humor or how you try to set a mood in your speaking. Um, do you have anything to add to that, uh, Mark or or Bear, Bear or anybody? Uh, I like the, the water. Break. What's that? I like a lot the water break because he makes the pause. He makes the the moments. You're carving for the moment, and he says, "Oh, wait a second. Yeah, the water break, right. As I was telling you, so that make, that brings expectations. And it's so simple to use it. Do you see anything with the youth that you speak to that you have to do to set the mood for them? I, for the youth, I use a lot of illustrations. I do said, I do have a, a TV where I put all, all the screen every single time I use a Bible verse, or I use random pictures, crazy, Most mostly are laughable pictures that I use and then I put the subject right right next to it so they will it will catch their eye at least for that phrase that's the one that I want to explain so I will catch their eye and they'll notice that there's something going on and me myself I'm an, I like acting so I do use a lot of ups and downs while I'm preaching so that also keeps their attention like ha I have to be there I have to be focusing on what you're saying and but I like to be more possible also like make it slow because I'm, I'm pro I'm hyper. So I have to, to go slower a little, a little sometimes. Good. That's awesome. Feedback. Yeah. Anybody else have something like that? Do you remember when our late friend Ernie one time preached standing on his head? Oh yeah. <laughs> That's a little extreme. Yeah. <laughs> but he was extreme, but yeah, it was just something different. You know, you're, you're thinking, what am I watching and stuff like that? And, uh, but yeah, he, he thought I'm going to go there. <laughs> That's good. That's good. And uh, I'll never forget John Paul Jackson preaching this guy. And all of a sudden he became a statue for five minutes. He didn't move. Well, all I know is I never forgot that sermon. <laughs> it was uh, it was a way of of uh, of just changing the mood and, and creating the that environment uh, that really helps us. What we want to do now, and this uh, is, is to just really look now at the framework of your message. Tying the message together means creating the blueprints, the framework of for putting the truth so that it all ties and flows together as an effective message. I, I like to think, and again, Everyone has a little different style. So the way that I preach, you don't have to preach this way, but I, I think it's helpful for you to at least hear how I think about it. And so I like to think of these five buckets because when I put things in buckets, it, it makes me both look at whether I covered the, the, the whole thing the way I wanted to cover it, but it also then helps me trim it down if I've got too much in one bucket, I said, well, that's way too much. <laughs> you know, you're not, you don't have enough application in there or you don't have enough room now for an invitation because you totally filled the other buckets uh, too full. So thinking in that way, 
uh, I believe helps. One of the things I also want to say as a principle, confinement brings more power. Uh, in other words, the more you can reduce something in, in your communication, the more powerful it becomes. As I said before, uh, we want to work hard on the big point. And, and if you're going to put a nail, guess what happens? If you really want to put a nail in, a, in the frame to make it stay, guess what you have to do? I mean, you, know, you have to hit the nail more than one time. <laughs> You can't just make a great point and say, "Woo, I nailed it, yeah, but that's not enough. It's probably going to take uh, five or 10 hits on that nail uh, before it goes in. And so we have said it over and over, far better to make one point that people never forget than 25 great points that they never remember. And so uh, effective communicator says, they're, they're going to evaluate that before, during, and after. I often keep refining that big point several times. In fact, I often tell people, I choose the title for my sermon last instead of first. I get a general title, but I want to make sure that the Holy Spirit shows me, and I really pray hard about this, Holy Spirit, what do I got to nail home today? And uh, if they're going to forget 95% of everything I say by Wednesday, what is the 5% I hope they remember? Not that I was scratching my head while I preached, you know, or whatever, or, or not like whatever it was, Vice President Pence, the, the fly on his head, whatever it was. I want it to be this life-changing point that got nailed all the way to the core of their being. So again, I described these five areas, the introduction, the, I call it the make it personal point, the develop a plan or the application, the points of the message, the offer hope point, and then the ask for a decision point, and then the expect results. Those are, that's a general framework. So let's just talk about the introduction bucket first. I, I want to say this because often people Unfortunately, the introduction and the, and the conclusion is often an afterthought. But I believe that an effective message is like an airplane ride, and the takeoff and the landing maybe are the most important. And so please don't forget that. You say, well, I got a lot of great things to say. I know, but how you take off and, and how you land that plane will determine how open they were to hear what you had to say and how much they do about what you had to say. So with the uh, introduction, uh, here, here's four goals that I believe we have. Connect and develop a rapport, gain attention, introduce the message and its purpose, and give them a reason why they should listen. We call this the hook. The introduction is the hook. <laughs> And uh, you really only have a very short window to hook people. Um, you can capture them later on, but it gets harder the further you go in the message. So if you can, if you can hook them, I, I always try to write out uh, the first two paragraphs of what I'm going to say, because I want those words to, to be as strong as they can. 
I like to say it this way. When I get up to start my message, this is a very intentional thing. One, I want to I want to be full of energy. Uh, I really try to work with our worship team about this. You know, there's going to be a, a flow of a service the way I like the flow of a service to be. Uh, I want people to come in tapping their feet. I want to be high energy to start with because most of the people are asleep. So I want something in the praise and worship. Let's let's get if if they're tapping their foot. If I don't have a worship team that can do that, I'm going to put one of the kids worship videos on or something because I want there to be high energy. And then we'll have time eventually to go down to be still and know that I'm God. But before I preach, I want to come back up. Uh, and, and, and that's why, you know, I don't want to give so many announcements before I preach that people are wishing they were in heaven now. <laughs> I, I want to make that last transition. This feels good because I want to start preaching from the mountaintop, not the valley, right? I, I literally am intentional about the way I get up on the stage. I, I don't want to drag up. I want to jump up and I can't jump as used as well as I used. I wish I was Hunter Howard, but anyhow, <laughs> I, I, I want them to feel so, whoa, I am so excited. Whoa, here we go. You know, um, I like to say that I want it to feel like a little kid with a Christmas present for his mom about to show his mom something I can't wait to show you. Hey, everybody, I can't wait to show you something from God's word. This is so amazing. Uh, immediately, that creates a certain, a certain awakening uh, that I have to wake people up. And so uh, sometimes that also, and again, you can vary your introduction, but sometimes you can have an introduction that just, you know, maybe a point from history or something that's just something that, whoa, that's powerful. That's, that's really, uh, and then you, you go with that. But the big thing is I don't want to get caught up in a lot of, of winding roads. <laughs> you know, yes, I can thank people, but I don't want to get into a long discussion. I, I want to hook them. So, uh, I, I will summarize, this is what I want to tell you today. And, and I shared in an earlier message, um, make that title positive. Uh, as we said, three reasons you don't have to live with worry and anxiety anymore. Um, something that says to them, this is worthy of your time. Secondly, I want, I want, I need to relate to them. I need some way um, to get their heart permission to go on this journey with me. It's kind of like I'm saying, hey, you guys, I want to show you something. Are they going to say, no, thank you? Or are they going to say, oh, okay, okay. What, what gets someone to leave their sofa or their, you know, their lounge chair in front of their TV show to want to come in the backyard to see something? It takes persuasion, right? And, and so that's part of how I'm feeling when I start the message. I, I use this general strategy of, of kind of them, me, God, and then them. So first of all, them. 
How are you all today? Anybody ever feel this way? I'm going to talk about that. And then the reason I go to me is I want to make it personal. Because, again, we said this before, that people have this inward test. Do I want to listen to this person? And there's different reasons, but we say in our day that authenticity is key. They, they'll listen to you because they know that you're real. They know that you're, you're relatable. And so that's, that's an important point. So again, this past Sunday, if you were there at the message, I preached on, um, you know, healing from sexual brokenness and, and the elephant in the room. And so very early, I said, can I tell you about this 17-year-old guy that loved Jesus with all his heart? But he got to a place where he didn't know if he was a Christian anymore. And then I explained about sexual temptation. And I said, oh, by the way, that guy was me. And someone came along and, and helped me know that all temptation is normal and so forth. What I was trying to say is this guy is not here to scold me uh, about moral purity. But he's wanting, as we said, we always preach like guides, not gods. <laughs> we do not preach like gods who know it all. We preach like gods whose guides, excuse me, who say, let's take a journey together uh, to know where we want to be. The why is absolutely crucial. And so I actually use the why both in the beginning and then I use the why after I introduce the scripture, but I'll say that in a minute. I believe more than ever, people, people want to know why they should listen to this. And, and so I, I don't mind even taking 10 minutes of my message uh, to say this is really worth. Um, I tell people a lot of times when I'm preaching, I realize that I'm going to challenge, as we've said in our earlier message, preaching for life change is always about exposing lies and bringing God's perspective. And so I realized that when I expose lies, some of those are sacred cows. And, and some people are a little bit defensive about it. So I've got to have a pretty good reason why to sell them with the idea that it's worth them considering another point of view. And, and so that's what I'm trying to do right there. As I say, now, I know you may think this, I know you may think that, but can I tell you why God's perspective may really be worth your time? <laughs> so then, um, then that leads me into the transition of going to the scripture. So now I've had a relatable moment and now I transition. In some way, I'm going to say, did you know that God's word has something very important to say about that? Would you turn with me to whatever the passage of scripture is? So now I'm going from them to me to God. <laughs> so let's go to God now. And, and then we're going to read the scripture. Let me just say two things about the scripture. Again, I believe you should show the scripture or have it written down. And, and you should slow down when you read the scripture. I, I, I don't do this well all the time, but at least at some part of the scripture, you want to present the word of God for what it is. Hey, you guys, we're about to hear the eternal, unlimited, all-powerful words of mighty God. Let's, let's hear this. 
as, as biblical preachers, our hope is that people would fall in love with the word more they, than they fall in love with our preaching. <laughs> that they would say, man, the Bible's amazing. And uh, I, I really want to go deeper into the word of God. So I, I try to, if possible, at least give some context in the scripture, make it something kind of interesting to go back and, and say, wow. So, you know, talk a little bit about the personalities in the scripture. Who was Elijah or who was John the Baptist when he said that? And, and, and so that it makes people want to just stop and really uh, grasp a little bit the importance of just the word of God alone. So then we go to the next thing, and I call this the bucket of the plan, whatever you want to call it. This is the points that you're making. Now, again, there's a lot of ways to do it, but in my mind, as I develop my sermon, I have what, why, and how. <laughs> the what and why I introduce in that first part. And so generally in the introduction and in the first part of the message, I'm telling them this is what we're doing, this is where we're going, and this is why. Mm -hmm. So that I can spend the most important part of this time in the how. So if you had in Roman number one, it would be what and why, and then Roman number two is, is how. And so this is the plan, the pathway to this better life, <laughs> this better way of living. And so as we said last week, if application is the point of the message, then the applications should be the points. <laughs> and so I think that the most powerful outline is to make those nails that we're going to drive home these major points of application in your life. And so the way I like to say it, state a point, show a scripture, and paint a picture. Say a point, state a scripture, and paint a picture. So again, Sunday, just because I just used that, preaching on the woman, the sinful woman caught in adultery. I, I made a point. You need to accept God's forgiveness. And, and then I gave a scripture, neither do I condemn you. But then I painted a picture and I said, you know, the problem with accepting forgiveness is not, will God forgive me, but can I forgive myself? And so then I painted a picture of shame and how the enemy accuses you. And I, I described people that I've that I've taught who who after years of being a Christian still held themselves hostage to bad things they had done. And and so I said, you know, accepting forgiveness is renouncing shame. And I tried to tie that as that first point. So then you 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 know if you're going to have two points, you're going to have three points whatever they are, you know, I had accept forgiveness, I had uh Take a stand, go and sin no more. Again, those were application points that I hope to drive home. And the bigger point behind those, they all tied to, you know, which is that the more grace and truth, the more light, the less darkness has a hold on your life. So I kept reinforcing that with that same point. But then what you want to do in those points is you want to look 
for the flow of those points. Um, and again, I believe that great preaching is talking to what I call the head, the heart, and the hand. <laughs> My first two points, I usually want to talk to the head and the hand, meaning the way to think about this and a decision with the will or an application. But I, I move to the crescendo of the message by really talking to the heart. And so if I have the best illustration, if I have a testimony, I'm going to probably give it on the last point. In other words, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to end leading towards a decision. So the flow of this, I'm, I'm going to build something. And if you want people to make a decision, wherever that, that top of the wave is, I want, it, I want to get my sermon, when I get to the conclusion, I want them to be at the top of the wave. I don't want to give all the energy at the first point. I want this to build to something so that there is a, a strong decision, the closing argument, the um, let's, let's get married point. I mean, whatever, you know, you might do the banquet and the flowers and everything, but you want your very best words for that crescendo point. And so let's go. Then I have as a fourth thing, I just call the give hope point. After I've made the applications, I always want to give hope. So this is just what I say. This is where I always try to apply the gospel to any message I give. The give hope point is that the gospel says that change does not come from promises you make to God. It comes from promises God made to you. The reason there's hope, the reason you can do this is not because you're a good moral person. The reason you can change, the reason this your family doesn't have to live in the pit it's been in, is Jesus died for you. Jesus already paid the price. Jesus said it won't be you who live, but it'll be him who lives in you. So that really, to me, is I don't want them to come away saying, wow, that is really hard. I want them to come away saying, wow, there's really hope. Yeah, that is hard. No, not only is it hard, it's impossible. But wait a second, the gospel. Oh my goodness, Jesus died, Jesus rose. And so that's the hope thing. So right before the invitation, I try to make a big hope point. You can do this, and here's why. Or you can be this. Or your family can be different because of Jesus. You want to, that's where you frame Jesus. Like I said, don't ever leave that message without Jesus being the star of that message. <laughs> because if you're the star, it's not going anywhere. And if even a great truth is the star, it's not going anywhere. But if Jesus is the star, somebody's life is going to get changed. I heard one preacher I loved. He says, if all else fails, brag more on Jesus. And I just love that. <laughs> if all else fails in your message, you forgot everything you're going to say. Take five minutes and just tell everybody how wonderful Jesus is again. Because in the end, that's what changes lives. And so that leads us to the conclusion or the invitation in which we're going to ask for a specific response. I want to encourage you to be very intentional about the atmosphere. Uh, I wish I had a great piano player. Right now, we're, we don't have a great piano player, but I loved having someone come up and start to play music there as we get to the end. I love anything that you can do uh, to create uh, an emphasis on leading up to that point. I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing. 
But, but here's where we're going. You've talked to their heads, you've talked to the hand, but now you're going to just talk to the heart. Uh, I put in here a bunch of ideas, and this is way a lot of stuff we could discuss, but when I'm bringing a conclusion, here's some ways you can, can get a better response. Number one, anticipate arguments, what the devil might be saying to them, and then refute those arguments. I know some of you right now are saying, I could never become that. You know, the devil's probably telling you, you've sinned too much. I want you to know before I lead you in this prayer that God knows how hard this is, but he, he says you can't. You know what I'm saying? I'm, you're just doing a refuting of the uh, devil. Number one, plead. And I, I don't use the word plead like beg, but Paul says in many places, he says, I beseech you. <laughs> and I kind of love that word. I beseech you, dear brother. I want them to... Uh, I want them to hear my heart. I want to say, friends, children, brothers, sisters, please, please hear my heart. That, that's that closing moment where, where you say, I, and, and literally, I believe sometimes it's good, get off the stage, walk right there. And you're just like, here's my heart right here. Come on, hear this, please, please, please. Uh, give a vision, paint a picture. Uh, one of the most effective ways to give an invitation is to say, I want you just to imagine with me, what would it like be like if, if, your, if your kids got the dad they always wish they had, who cared about them, who, who took time with them? Can you imagine what that would feel like for your sons? You know, again, paint a picture. Or, or sometimes use the, the phrase, can you imagine, church, if everyone in this church starting today, before they spoke another negative word, they chose to turn and praise God first? Can you imagine the energy that would create in Las Cruces, New Mexico? You know what I'm saying? You're, you're casting a vision. You're creating an imagination. Again, number four, I already said, but use encouragement. Again, use your spiritual gift. <laughs> if your spiritual gift is prophecy, Ask for a prophetic word for your invitation. If you have the gift of the word of life, and if you don't, get a prayer team and ask them. Say, you know, one of our prayer teams had a word of knowledge today that someone in this room is suffering from arthritis. And we just talked about Jesus bore your sins and his stripes you're healed. So as we give the invitation, if you're that person with arthritis, now that can be one of the most powerful things uh, and so if you have a prayer team, even if you don't have that gift, what if you just asked your prayer team, could you guys ask the Holy Spirit if there's anything during invitation time today that he wants to do? And, uh, and then mention it. I, I love to just use the word encouragement. And I use that a lot because I have the spiritual gift of encouragement. So I'm going to use that gift. And that gift is you can do this. I believe in you. I've seen you guys, you're amazing. Number five, have a very clear, specific and practical way for them to respond. Again, we said it last week, if it's fuzzy in the, in the pulpit, it's fog in the pew. If, if it's unclear what you want them to do, <laughs> they're not gonna do anything. Mm -hmm. and, and so depending on who you're speaking to, I like to start by thinking of a bunch of things. I like to think of, here's five things I would like people to do after they hear this message. 
I may only use two of them or one of them, but you never know, depending on once you get there and you have your audience, uh, you may shift the application or the invitation based on all of a sudden you realize, oh, I didn't, I got a feeling these, this is different than I thought was going to be here today. So how do you want them to respond? Do you want them to take out a card and write something down? Do you want them to uh, to raise their hand? Do you want them to go home and do something at home? Or do you want them to say a prayer? Do you want them to stand up? Do you want them to put their hand on their heart? <laughs> do you want them to make a declaration? I don't know, but, but take some time on that. Um, sometimes, and then number six, restate major points forcefully. Don't re-preach your sermon. Now, here's a warning. When you get to the invitation, some of us preachers all of a sudden remember something we wanted to say, we forgot to say, and we go on a rabbit trail. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, I got to the point, oh, I was going to say this, and now you you ruined the whole moment <laughs> because you, you, you forgot. Oh, yeah. Oh, by the way, I wanted to tell you, I thought of this great description. No, stop. Save it for next week. You don't want to ruin the moment, but you do maybe want to restate it. You can ask God to forgive you. You can take a stand for your family. Light will break in the darkness if you just admit that you need help. And then number seven, invite people to pray a salvation prayer. And uh, I, I encourage, why not? You know, like I said, I've, I've had some, <laughs> I remember one service I had where I felt like I messed up everything in the message. But at the end, I prayed a salvation prayer and people came up and got saved. And I said, who cares about the message? <laughs> There's people in heaven, you know, it made, it made everything worth it, right? And, and I've been amazed at when people will get saved. It, it is just shocking. You know, you can be teaching on the most, you can be teaching on tithing and people will get saved because the Holy Spirit is going to often work in ways beyond what you ever intended or imagined. So I just wanted to, to mention that. Uh, I, I love to uh, write down a prayer that I'm going to end the service with a prayer that summarizes everything that you wanted God to do for the people that day. And I really found this is valuable. Don't let that closing prayer be an afterthought. Let it be an intentional thing. Uh, today, Lord, we came to your word. and We saw that you really care for the sexually broken. And, and I just go very specifically in that prayer because sometimes that is another moment where God reinforces what he was doing in the message. Um, one of the things that I like to do is after the service, and again, this only works if you teach multiple services, but I do in between service after the first time I preach, I always go back. I try to go back and say, in fact, I'll ask someone, a prayer partner, what was the main point you felt the Holy Spirit doing today? You know, what, what would you say that I should say more of? I tell Sharon, text me this, or I tell Sue Yeager, whoever. What, what did you feel that in that message I should say more of or less of? Just, just give me one thing. Give me one thing that you felt the Holy Spirit was doing. And, and so I'm going to turn the volume up on that point. 
And then sometimes I'll rewrite that last prayer because I got surprised. God did something. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. God did something in the sermon you weren't even expecting. <laughs> so I have to do a real quick rewrite of that, uh, of that last thing. And then the final thing is believe and expect results. Preach for faith with faith. Uh, Hebrews 4.2 says about the children of Israel is that the message did not benefit them because it was not combined with faith. Now, it didn't, it didn't help them because they did not respond in faith to the message. But it doesn't help them if you don't preach the message with faith. Faith is, is the real transaction point through which all the resources of heaven come to people on earth. And so what does that look practically? That looks that besides everything else I prepared in this message, I prepared before God that he would do something great. I prepared to believe God. I prepared to expect God. And, and that is huge. Why? Because that faith in me stirs faith in people. It's just, it's just like a smile, right? What happens when I smile at you? I create a smile back from you, right? What happens when I believe? I create a greater likelihood that someone will believe. And again, I've told the story, but Charles Spurgeon uh, a young evangelist came and asked him, why do so many people get saved when you preach? Nobody gets saved uh, when I preach. And, and he says, well, do you expect people to get saved? He says, no, I don't even expect people to get saved anymore. <laughs> and he says, okay, every time I preach, I expect this altar to be full. That's the difference between you and me. It's not because, you know, you can say the same words as Billy Graham, but it doesn't mean you're going to have Billy Graham results, right? <laughs> but if you have Billy Graham faith, that could have created that result. I actually have, and I will send out to you the example of, because I think it's so important, uh, a few different invitations. I actually want to practice, and I, I kind of got off in a hurry, but I, I had written down several uh, a couple of different invitations. And, and I would love for you to just read them and practice them and create invitations for yourself. This I, I, I'm so passionate about because I think a lot of great teachers and a lot of great pastors never graduate to be lead great altar calls. And, uh, and I think they could, but they just never learned or they never uh, got into practice or the habit. I liked what uh, uh, John Stott, I think, is the one who said, a sermon without a summons, a sermons without a, a summons, uh, how did he say it? Uh, I wrote it down here somewhere, so I'm gonna, I don't want to mess that up because I thought it was a really, a really good point. Uh, he said, a sermon without a summons is a message without a purpose. There we go. A sermon without a summons is a message without a purpose. So, so the summons is an incredibly uh, important thing. And you don't have to be passionate. You don't have to be, you know, you don't have to have good hair or anything to give a great invitation. All you, all you got to do is be sincere, 
be prepared and believe God's going to do something uh, when you give them. And you know what? Never feel embarrassed if nobody responds. The, the, the worst mistake you can say, well, I tried to give a message and an invitation and nobody got saved. Congratulations, you tried. <laughs> Kudos for you. You know what I'm saying? Some people, well, I must not just be any good at. No, just keep doing it. Just keep believing for it. And, uh, and God will honor that. Awesome. Any, uh, anything on that structure that someone, give me some feedback on uh, what you see is helpful or what you have noticed about creating the buckets for the points of your message. Uh, any thoughts? What jumps out at you? Uh, and again, I'd love Jessica to say something that relates to children or, or bear to youth or someone I know that uh, Denise speaks to some ladies or, or, or Mark or Juno or whatever. Anybody have something that, that you can relate to? Um, I have one thing that I was trying to, um, I've been trying for weeks and weeks since your, I started your class to write my testimony and I just can't seem to, just can't seem to get it, right? But I found it interesting when I was trying to write it. Um, I started with, um, you know, I want you to know that I serve, you know, a mighty God who's merciful and loving and um, abounding in grace and love and patience. And then I was leading into my testimony, but you just said, end with your testimony. So I have to, I have to, I'm just having, I have, I'm having blocks. Like I can't, I just, and I don't want to, um, I don't feel like I'm led to preach. Like that's not why I joined your class. You know, I teach, I'm a teacher and um, I just want to be able to give my testimony to people and lead them to salvation, right? People I run into, I don't see myself necessarily standing up <laughs> in front of people doing that. I don't know what God sees. That's not a vision I've seen yet, but um, but I'm just struggling to figure out how to share this and how to shorten it and bring it. I don't know. Can anyone else relate? Anyone ever have any blocks? There's Denise, the only one. Okay. Okay. There's one other person. All right. Yeah. We all have that so common and, and that's so good. And maybe someone else can give you some, I, I really think, um, if you can really just try to reduce the message of your testimony down to what is really simple that you want people to hear. I want them to hear hope for them because this is my life, you know, right. their one main point of your testimony that uh, God uses weak people or, or God can can rescue people in unexpected. Is there anything that comes to your mind that would just be one, one simple point that you would love for people to take away um, and, and sort of start with that? that that's the only thought I could have. Okay, um, that's good. And then you can build uh, with that and behind that and, and then just start writing it and start speaking it a few times. You'll be surprised, something will come out uh, for you. 
but I, I can't wait to hear it. It's going to be awesome. I know it is. <laughs> now, any other question or, or main reflection on, on this idea of creating a structure and a framework to nail and to provoke a good message? I just got one question. What rapport is? I don't know what rapport. And I looked it up and I didn't find it. Yeah, rapport is the, in the connection, the invisible back and forth. I, I I like the word me too. When you have a rapport, you are listening to someone and you relate. It's uh you 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 connect with them. You say, Oh yes, it rapport is when, when someone nods. When someone nods and they're not just listening from afar, but now they're engaged. You're now in a conversation and not just uh listening to a message. They can see something. When I am with the kids. Are you able to hear? They can hear with Yes, we can hear. Okay. Yeah. When I'm with the kids at the end, I like to tell them, you know, like always, when we are going to pray about the message, I always say something, how can they apply what they learn? But then for the prayer, I always tell them to do something with their hands. For example, Put your hands, if you are going to pray about wisdom, put your hands in your head, you know, and you say, you know, God help you. Or if you are going to pray about your path, I told them, put your hands in your feet, you know, or make a, you know, make a shape, a hard shape with your hands so they can remember that, you know, movement or, you know, physical response. And then I connected with the prayer. And obviously it has to be like a short prayer because it's, Three years old. Yeah, I cannot say like big words, but you know, like something that they can remember. You know, you put your hands like a heart, and God tell me heart. Or put your hands in your ears. God tell me to listen to you. Something like that. So yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Good. <laughs> yeah, I really liked how you um, went over the part where you said the head, the heart, the hand, the hope. And, um, you know, I think that'll be helpful somewhat no. if you're going to write things out, because since we've been taking this class, I look at your messages on Sunday and, and look at my notes and I'm going, oh, yeah, I see. <laughs> I see how you're doing that. But, um, you know, I just think that that's something that I really need to focus on is that the star is always Jesus, because no. if you're not careful, I mean, Reaching this age in life, I have a lot of experiences and different things, but I want Jesus to be the star and to be uh, able to yeah. give that hope. And, you know, I know the word of God is living and that when I speak it, when I say it, people will know it. And, you know, like Denise, I'm not going to get up there in front of a crowd <laughs> and, and talk, but there are occasions I have opportunities to share with the small group of women and um i just want to be prepared i want to know and and i have um done little sermonettes at my house or whatever and so i just think that this is very helpful and i wanted to say thank you, thank you. yeah so we'll remember that the head the heart the hand and the hope <laughs> what i have love about this question there is the how you think about the people who's getting the messages. Right. It's not only what you want to say, it's not only teaching the Bible, it's what people need 
to listen about the Bible, what people need. So that that changes completely the way you teach because you're not just exposing yourself, you're digging into someone's heart yeah. and extracting that. So I've been loving that part of, of this class. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, any other thoughts or, or questions about uh, the framework? Um, I would really, again, if we had a, a more time, I would love to really spend time in more of a mentoring situation, but have you actually, okay, everybody talk to the head right now. <laughs> Think about the arguments that people have about this. And if I was talking to those arguments, how could I say it? And, and then talk to the hand, talk to the choice. This is going to take a choice. Mm -hmm. And, and here's what gets in the way of that choice. Here's the, you know, here's what the enemy tries to do and then talk to the heart. And I think that's the most important one. And I just, I really love for you. If I was to be able right now to have each of you give a message, I would just, I would just have you practice that, you know, that heart thing, person to person. What I love about an invitation, and again, it doesn't have to, don't think of a stage and a big microphone. Think of it as two or three people, but whatever it is, a Zoom call like, like we have right now, and just say, you lean into it and you say, hey, Jessica, can I just share my heart with you? This is why this matters to me. I don't think that you yet believe all that you could become, but I know it's true. Can't you just see what God wants to say to you? You know, you just lean into the heart of it. And uh, you are it's amazing. Uh, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've done that in a message. And, and someone will come up and they'll start hugging me and crying like I'm their mama or their daddy, you know. And, and I, all I did was talk, but it was, it was the Holy Spirit talking to some place in their heart that wasn't just uh, a, a talk, but it was conversation of love. It was a bonding moment. And it, it can affect somebody's life forever. So, again... Whatever the platform that you have, uh, you using this these thoughts can help you make a bigger difference. That's all I'm trying to say. So, uh, so what I would say is, if you would like to, uh, you know, I would just encourage you to in this last kind of session. What we're going to do in the next two or three weeks, whatever we have, I do want to talk about evaluation and about sermon planning. And if any of you are interested in uh, the first week of December, I'm going to do a, uh, a preaching calendar retreat with a few of the teachers in the church. And uh, if you'd be interested in coming, I'm going to do it. Uh, and we're going to try to evaluate uh, what we think people most need to hear and and create sermon series and, and talk you through how to do that. So I'd actually invite you to come to that. But, uh, but then I want to really talk about evaluation. At the end of the day, 
what really we we know if you're playing an instrument sports whatever we know it's it's practice 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 and so actually saying and presenting something and then evaluating it and seeing how to evaluate what you're strong at what you're not as strong at um, little things that you do that you could improve on that's where you're going to get better and so uh really hopefully i'm going to figure out the best way to do it have each of you just share something very simple don't worry there's not a judge and a jury this is not american idol nobody's getting a million dollars or anything else so it's just practice and uh and i and i would love for that and then i would very much encourage you to uh to every time that you preach even find some friends that just help you to talk about it and and find honest ways to talk about it in fact if you want to create your own just few questions that you ask. I'm going to give you, a, it's going to be overwhelming, but I have an evaluation questionnaire of about 15 questions about how your sermon went. <laughs> and uh, But the point of it is just to say, oh, let me go say that again. And I'll say it this way instead of that way. So that's what we're going to work on is, is we're going to work on planning messages, evaluating messages, and then giving, and then have you give some. So, if you would like to, again, nobody's under pressure, but it, especially if you would like to uh, to give the testimony or what I called your life message, or if you would like to just choose uh, something that's really been exciting to you in the word of God and, and create another message, uh, hopefully around 10 to 15 minutes, so we'll have time for everyone to give it. We'll do that in the last uh, couple of weeks. Again, any other, any final words? <laughs> Thank you all so much uh, for tuning in and, and very excited that the Lord's raising up each of you to teach and love it so much. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Pastor Dale's Leadership Podcast. It is our hope that you have been inspired in a great way. We encourage you to stay tuned for future content. May God bless you richly.